Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Today we're studying the Torah passage, Miketz, which covers Genesis 41 through 44, but we're also taking a look at Luke chapter 1 and Matthew 27. Uh, yes, uh, Larry, before we get started. Um, you know, when we were reading that, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, the, the uh, quote scholars, unquote, like to say that she didn't say that she was a virgin the way we think of it, but she meant that she was a young woman. Because mm-hmm. that virgin, what that? But you take the context there. Either she had to get another talk about the birds and the bees, or else she knew the reason why she couldn't have a, a baby was because she wasn't correct, right? So it doesn't make so. There, that argument gets lost in that statement. That one statement. Yeah, that's kind of an outgrowth of the similar argument about. Uh, trying to say that uh, you know, the was it Alma, which is the, the Hebrew word back in um, Isaiah, talking about you know then the virgin will give birth. That, that can mean just a young woman. Although in other contexts, yes, it could be young woman. But in other contexts that you see the word used, yeah, your only determination is is that it can be a um, a woman who has you know not been with a man before. So, so it's, it's one of those, those things about context. You could say, yes, it's can only be a young woman, but you can also say that it's also a virgin. So the context is hugely important. So, all right. Uh, anything else before we get, get this started? Yes, Alex. Back to the, what Rose was talking about and that, you know, that's, that's so uh, a, that's just 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 re- re- yeah, re- recap there about the Matthew chapter yes. uh, twenty-seven mm-hmm. passage. Oh, let his blood be upon us. And I've heard some people, uh, some uh, Jews who who like to push back on the gospel, say right. hey, no Jewish guy would say. Well, well, first off, you're not responsible for your your children aren't responsible for you, or, right? Or, you know, so we see that from I mean, it's just crazy stuff Ezekiel, going on where there. they said. You know, the one who sins is the one who dies. And that's something we get into later on in when we get into the Torah about, you know, the uh, sins of the fathers going down generation after generation. Or, or so. the, was that generation so gone that they didn't even know the law? Hmm. I mean, you know, things are pretty messy yeah. right then. But the one reason why we're, we're taking a look at these two passages together, both the Yosef passage with he and his brothers and also this passage in Matthew 27 together is to help you kind of see in this that, you know, just like with Rubain and just like with Yehuda, really didn't know what they were uh, committing themselves to because something of God was in action more than they could say they were saying in their own power hey you know we in our strength will make sure that this is not going to happen well both with yosef going down into egypt to begin with and then also in the situation where yosef was in his position as basically prime minister both of those were acts of god in those sense you know you you Rubain and yehuda both at the beginning of when Yosef ended up in the cistern, and then later on when he's down there in Egypt, um, those were both acts of God in that sense. So then fast-forwarding into what's recorded there in Matthew 27, there was something going on at work that was bigger than what this crowd was getting into. But just like with Yehuda and with Reuben, their actions in this were contributors to it but they should also know that this is something outside their power that's also making this go a certain way and even even if they wanted it to happen even if they didn't want it to happen it was going to be going in a certain way 
And then when you zoom back out further, when you see the actions of an entire empire like Mitzrayim of Egypt at the time period, that basically the kingdom of heaven went in through a slave and basically overrode and took control of an entire superpower through the actions of a slave. So you basically are, it's a little demonstration of saying Pharaoh was wise in that, you know, you see that he's later described as the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that knew Yosef and also knew the one who Yosef was said, sent by and also led by and the one that did not know Yosef. And we've encountered that before when we kind of roll back the time period into there was the Avimelech, the one who sort of knew God, and the Avimelech really that sort of didn't know God. And then you also had a Pharaoh that knew God when Avraham was down in Egypt. So you get these, these pictures of there are leaders that will recognize, hey, the power of God is at work. But then there's leaders that don't recognize it and think that they themselves are the leaders of their own destiny. And they themselves are taking over the entire world. So, yes, that's uh, definitely a huge concern. Oh, Carrie, yes, you got your hand up. Go ahead, please. Um, so I spent a good part of the study last week writing down messianic parallels in oh, the Parsha yes. last week. And I know I didn't get them all, but, um, I was, I guess I'm just in a phase right now. And so that's what I was looking at today while listening to these passages, you know, being read together. And, um, I was thinking with the two dreams with the seven years of famine and the seven years of plenty and, um, and then the two women with the, with the child. Mm -hmm. And I just, I've never really thought about it this way, but I thought, you know, God never has just one reason for doing something, right? Like, I know those dreams were to help Joseph and this and that, but I think that they're multi-layered, and, uh, or at least it's possible. Um, and I was just thinking with the, um, it, it's kind of like a vision of the, the Messiah, like there were, the number seven is completion. So it's like there was this whole time that God sees as complete where everything was, you know, maybe like the Garden of Eden where, you know, that was the original design of the kingdom. And then there were the seven years of famine. And then when that was time was complete, the, um, you know, the Messiah was, was recognized and, um, and how, you know, and just how Joseph kind of plays that role there with the 12 brothers coming, you know, to meet him. And, um, and then even with the, with the child, you know, and Solomon, of course, in his wisdom saying split him in two to, to figure out who the true mother is. But I also was thinking, what about the first and second comings and mm. how there are so many Jews who, you know, don't realize that he's already come the first time. And of course, you know, there's been some, some fight and some play and things, especially, you know, with Christians too. Um, but the true mother is the one that, you know, stands up and says, no, this, you know, just um, don't, don't let him die. You know, she, she's the one that clings to him, right? And, you know, and says to keep him alive, regardless of what. And um, so it's just kind of interesting to see those things kind of play out and how, you know, the suffering servant. And then, of course, afterwards, the, um, the reigning king. Um, and I just hadn't really seen those parallels um reading these before yeah well thank you for that observation on that and it's it's really interesting when you zoom out also from the passage that we looked at there in first kings and you look and also roll back it uh into the chapter that goes before it and also in the chapters that follow after it, you, you see a kind of a, a very interesting thing going on with uh, Solomon and where he is getting his wisdom from. And you can see also in the case of Solomon that um, even though he starts out with the idea of wanting to have the Lord be the 
the source and the beginning of his wisdom. You see that he also did not root out one of the key things that was um, going to be drawing away the entire empire and the people of God later, was basically bringing in other influences, bringing other influences into his home. And then those influences would be the ones to teach his children. And the people would teach their children's children down. And also, you can see the very interesting aspect of Solomon's life, that he himself was visiting the high places and talking about, well, it was before the Lord had created his house. Well, the Lord had already created his house. They call that the tabernacle. The tabernacle, as you might remember at this period, was forgotten. It was hanging out in someone's house and hadn't really, they hadn't, sure, they haven't built this permanent temple, but there already was a place. It was just forgotten. So they were going to the high places and the people were going to the high places. So that's one of those things that when you're, when you're saying that he was seeking for wisdom, are you really going the full length to see where true wisdom comes from? We've been going through Genesis talking about things from Genesis in the very beginning. Go back to the two trees in the garden. Are you getting your wisdom from God, the tree of life? Or are you seeking it from some other place? Or are you trying to split the difference and kind of have one foot that's headed towards the tree of life and one foot that's headed towards the tree of knowledge of good and bad? And we see in the life of Shlomo, Solomon, that he was, in a sense, almost putting the one foot on one side and one foot on the other. And we see it happens later in life. Yes, that can ended up gravitating further and further toward the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And you can see, like in some of his later works, like um, one that's attributed to him, people go one way or the other, whether Kohelet or Ecclesiastes is written by him or not. But even if you were to take it, yes, it was written by him, you can see at the end part of it, it's say after all of his traveling for wisdom and seeking it all over the world, what does he come down to? The true things of knowledge is to follow God and keep his commandments. That is the whole, after going meander this and that through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, where does it come back to? It's like, yeah, where I should have started to begin with. That the whole duty of man is to uh, follow God and keep his commandments. So that when we look at this particular passage of Miketz, there uh, from the end until the end, at the end. So in context, is talking about the end of these two years. But you can see that this is also something that plays down into the future, the future of time, the going until the end of days, until the, the latter days. Because we see parallels. Uh, we've talked about this before, parallels between this particular prophet, Yosef, and another particular prophet, Daniel. There's a lot of parallels between those two prophets and who they spoke to. And you think of the dreams that they had, the dreams of Pharaoh, the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. Very similar. If you ever read those two accounts you read in the book of Daniel and in the passage we just looked at in Genesis, they're very similar. The whole thing of they have dreams, they don't understand them. They bring in the wise men to go look at the dreams. And you see, well, and it's very interesting with the version that you, yeah, yes, uh, Benaniah. <clears throat> Do you think possibly that uh, <clears throat> not the diaspora, because, you know, in the time of Daniel is that uh, a lot of them left and went back you know, mm. to rebuild, but yeah. not all of them. Right. And uh, 
you know, you have to understand is that Daniel was one of the Magi. He was one of the wise men mm -hmm. in Babylon. And I'm just wondering, you know, he really influenced a lot of people. Yeah, he did. You know, and, and is it a possibility that the wise men that came to worship Yeshua were of the diaspora of... Highly likely. <clears throat> highly likely that those Magi, those wise people, were devotees. So the, the whole, uh, whole idea of what to look for, where to look for, of uh, the star and the omen of it was highly influenced by uh, Daniel. Do you think there's a possibility that uh, maybe the star that they followed, I mean, do you think that that could have been? Is it possible that that might have been the angel of the Lord? Entirely possible. Okay. En entirely possible that you have those things because in Scripture you see stars and the messengers of God are often called very similar things. So very, very possible that you would have it in a place where you would have these wise people, because if you look historically, what we know about Babylon and such, they were really big into astronomy, and also astrology, but very big into astronomy, and calculating the movements of stars and planets down to very accurate accurate measurements of things i mean pretty incredible what they i mean what they were able to do what we know that they don't have or they didn't have um much in the way of telescopes but still to be able to take the measurements that they did and make the calculations that they did it's pretty astounding what they were able to accomplish so very astute and so if you were to have something an anomaly show up in the normal course of what they were seeing and in the sending the messages through their own zodiac um there's debate as to whether zodiac is zadek comes from tzedek and comes back through that and has any realm or correlation in that that's that's debatable but the point is is that it showed up in something they considered to be significant and got them to go looking so and it's a very interesting thing because what you do you see in the prophets you see that i was sought for by by people from with a strange tongue or a different tongue people that weren't looking for me i was found that was a very interesting prophecy of it that, that that's kind of a very interesting thing that you see in looking forward that this message of the messiah would be caught first or even prominently by those who may not have been looking already for it but also by those who were looking for it they did notice it because you know you you see in the accounts that that talks about with the arrival of these wise men that are looking for the birth of this king that they consulted herod consulted the people who did know the prophecies and what did they tell him they know this king is coming where he's going to be coming so the people that should know did know so that would be a message to those who did know and should know. So when we look back in, um, when we look back into the passage of Miketz itself, we see that there's kind of two big themes that come through this, and that one of which is for the rise of Yosef and also the descent of Yosef. So Yosef descends. And Yosef rises. But then you also see in the other sense of Israel rising and Israel descending. Those are themes that you see throughout the Bible and these patterns that keep going through this. And one of those questions that you should ask when you see a pattern in Scripture is why? Why do we keep seeing these patterns that keep showing up again and again and again? We've noticed these already in Genesis. The elements of 
the younger and the older brothers battling, younger getting chosen over the older brother, that keeps coming up again and again and again. And this thing of going down into Egypt, ending up in Philistia or in the realm of Avimelech, and then claiming, oh, she's my sister. You keep seeing this again and again. Well, what is going on here with the rise of Israel and the descent of Israel? Someone descending down into something and something rising back up out of it. Because you, you keep going to the wrong tree. Well, you see also is that what happens with this descent? What happens with the descending down? For example, when you see, when we get into our next passage, where Yaakov, the father, Israel, descends down finally into Mitzrayim himself. But before then, his sons are going down and coming back and going down and coming back. Well, what is it that is going on with this, of the descending down into Mitzrayim and then coming back up? When you're descending down, the famine is bringing them down. There is a, a stress that's coming down upon them and driving them down into it. Well, the Lord was making, bringing this into, into fruition because the dreams came along. He said, hey, this is coming. Get ready for it. Uh, yes, Deborah. Oh, so that now, I'm not sure if it's in Zechariah, but it says in the end days, it, there will not be a famine for food, that there uh, would be a yes. famine for the word of God. Famine for the so word. So now here we are, and the churches all have the same messages, but the messianic groups are, we're being fed during this famine. I will always often think this message is so different from the other churches. I mean, there's some of the Sabbath. But, you know, they, I know that's a one Sabbath group, but they still are church-like. They don't even bring up the word Torah. They celebrate the feasts. One Sabbath don't. I mean, all, it reminds me of the seven churches in Revelation. But we, I feel, are being fed. There is a famine for the truth and, mm. and for the, the, uh, the, the laws of God, mm. which are his government that's going to come and rule and reign. So I feel very fortunate to be blessed here like rose said there's something inside that just gets all excited about coming here and saying oh my god we're going to be fed today i can't wait to have some gold <laughs> nuggets thank you so much yeah yes uh and you had a comment or a question back there yeah I, re I remember yesterday in the food store i mean it's such a long line you know and everybody was very pleasant and everything and they're all talking christmas stuff and stuff you know and i'm saying I'm saying, looking around, saying, "You know what it's all about? <laughs> you know what is this all? What is this all about? You know, it's like, you know, they're looking for their last gift or something, and grumpy or, but they weren't grumpy. But I mean, it's like, I mean, it's it, it's so crazy. It's but it's so easy to get caught up in it, and it's so you know, all the trees and everything are so beautiful with the lights. Everything is so pretty. You know, it's like, well, ugh. <laughs> It's, I know, separate the holy from the profane, you know, really, yes. Uh, yes, Alex, yeah, hey, comment or a question. Up on what Deborah said, uh, my concern, it's pretty obvious to most of us that uh, inch by inch, the government's kind of leaning on re organized religion. So uh, like the Maccabees or whoever, the Torah is a Torah and we have to hold to it because a lot of churches shut down because government said this or that. And, uh, you know, it's maybe just, what do they say, a thousand little cuts, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those, when you talk about recurring patterns, that in itself is one of those where you would say, if you go roll the tape back to Genesis chapter 12 and you see this promise that's made to Avraham and then you see it rolls up and through those promises that are being revealed to Avraham, what it, it culminates with that, who blesses you, I will bless, and who curses you, I will curse. And that you've seen, you've seen it in Avraham's life, in the places where Avraham went down to Mitzrayim, and Avraham would bless in Mitzrayim, and then also <laughs> would curse to a certain degree. 
And then you also see with Avimelech and his encounter up there and the blessings and the curses that came with his interactions there. And then with the son Yitzhak and the places where he went and finding wells, digging wells, <laughs> giving up wells, moving on to new wells. And then with his son, Yaakov, as he moved on and blessed Laban, even though Laban was trying to uh, you know, pickpocket him, you could say, with the blessings. But still, Laban was being blessed by Yaakov's presence that was there. So here we see also that Mitzrayim being blessed by Yosef's presence in there. So thus, you can see the places where the kingdom of God is and the believers go in, there is a blessing that is there, a blessing that comes through. Just like we had talked about last Shabbat, the believers who, who go through and actually learn and then live by the words of God are people who are what? Upstanding, dependable, upright, just like Yosef in the household of Potiphar, in the household of Pharaoh, in the dungeon, Daniel in the dungeon, in service to two empires, first Babylon, then Medo-Persia, in service to those. So in the midst of those, they were living in those particular cultures. But what? They were dependable because of their adherence to the king of kings, the king over all the kings. So thus, they are a blessing in the midst of wherever they go. We see that with our brothers and sisters that happen to be in tyrannical regimes. We mentioned China in the past, that the wise there will see, hey, those believers in God, they are dependable ones. We will crack down on them and try to destroy them because they think something differently. But realistically, they are the best citizens that we have. Yet you will destroy them by what? Because they will not bend the knee to you. So just in a sense that there was the Pharaoh that we will meet in the coming Torah passages that did not know Yosef, that was wanting Yosef and his descendants to bend the knee to the gods of Mitzrayim, that Power, just like all the powers today, has to learn that it does well to bless those who the Lord has blessed and should take warning when it curses those who the Lord has blessed. Uh, yes, Lorella. This is kind of tapping on what Deborah said and what you said. Um, this is something that happened to me just yesterday. Uh, I was talking, and uh, somebody said, Well, you know, if anybody uses Messianic, Yeshua, or Messiah, you know they're a cult. And I was going, mm. really? I said, so um, as long as, as I say Jesus or Christ, I'm okay, but if I say Yeshua, I'm in trouble? And she said, yeah, I said, maybe I should leave. Oh, no, 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 I don't want you to leave. I said, well, guess what? <laughs> uh, and so I, I said, you know, we, we got into a little bit more, and she was talking about, well, Paul says this, and Paul says that, and I said, and Christ, you know, I'm going to be polite. Christ says this, and Christ says that. And if it's, a, it's a, a division between what Christ says and what Paul says, what you, should you do? She said, well, you follow Paul. <laughs> oh, and I okay. was like, okay, you know how sometimes you hear the Lord speak into your ear in that still quiet voice, testing one, two, three, <laughs> and that's kind of what I was doing. Okay, God, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to say? What words of wisdom can I use? And it brought it up to me that the 
people who study the scriptures because we want the truth. And the reason I even came to a messianic community, and it wasn't this one originally, it was a different one. The reason I came was I wanted to have the pure, unadulterated scripture. I wanted to know precisely what. I didn't want it filtered through any kind of organization. I didn't want it filtered anything. I just want a pure scripture. And I feel that those of us in this room, you may not have come here because of that. You may have come here because your mother said, guess what? It's Saturday. It's Sabbath. Let's go. But we have come to that realization that we want the truth. We want to have that personal relationship with Abba. And today he's my Abba. He's my daddy. Uh, because I, I really need a daddy today, and that's him. But for us, we are now held to a higher standard. Because we know the truth, it is our responsibility to educate those that don't. And we were able to come to, she's not quite sure what to do with me, and she said, well, do you stick a doily on your head when you pray? <laughs> no, I do not stick a doily on my head when I pray, but, you know. But being able to talk, because they have preconceived ideas about who we are, whether or not we're a cult, and I'm going, we're following the word of Adonai. And, and we're following all of the word of Adonai. That doesn't make us a cult. And it, that's Daniel. You know, you were just talking about some of our, our heroes, icons of the Old and New Testament, people who were penalized, were, were made to suffer because they wanted to stay to the truth. We need to be aware that that can be happening to us right now. We need to be praying ourselves up. We need to be reading our scriptures. We need to be conversing with other people who know the truth so that we can have a better understanding. Because guess what? It's coming. Yeah, that's, that's really... Good counsel, because when, when you're, uh, we were just talking earlier with this passage from Matthew 27, so, and just like with that one, we could be really a part of the plan that God has in motion, but ourselves you know, seemingly acting against it because we think it's something that the Lord is not doing, but we should always be careful to pay attention as to what the Lord is actually doing and you know what the Lord has actually said and by every word that actually proceeds out of the mouth of God and, and double-checking those things to make sure that they are so. Which is, I guess, coming to think, we'll talk about this more in the announcements time period, but uh, we'll be actually doing a deep dive into... Uh, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God uh, in the book of Romans, starting not this Monday, but the Monday after, J January 2nd. So, yes, uh, Rose. I'm sorry. Deborah, oh, okay, hello. I did want to say something else as I was studying, like Carrie was talking about earlier, about seeing these correlations. And in Revelation 11, um, I, when it said that, the, um, it talks about, the, it says these men, the two witnesses that the, um, the that men will have power to shut up the sky and no rain during the time of them prophesying. And they will, um, it says when they, um, it says at the end, you know, down on the 10th verse, it says the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. And because the prophets had tormented those who lived on earth, that made me think of Christmas. That's what we're doing, sending each other gifts over the death of Christ. I mean, not the death, but the birth of him. So I don't know. There's something in there. I feel like there's something that hasn't been, you know, because I know that the Bible says in Daniel that close up these books until the time of the end. I do believe that God has more revelation for those. We'll be able to hear the new revelations that will open the eyes of the people. So I just want to say, yeah. when I read that in, in Re uh, Revelation, because we got to keep using Revelation to look and see where some of the things that we're at in the scheme of time, but. Well, when one, they one of the gifts, really yeah. Well, one of the things to to keep in mind with the um, with Revelation is Revelation is like the you could say the master 
the master class of all of the prophets. So you really need to read the book of Revelation with a number of the prophets side by side from it. And if you have a, um, a source that's really good with cross-references from the book of Revelation, to go back and take a look at them. Specifically, um, if you actually, it's really helpful to understand the book of Revelation, is to go and look at the book of Ezekiel, because a huge part of the book of Revelation is actually comes from the book of Ezekiel itself. For example, the mark of the beast, that comes from Ezekiel. You'll see the Revelation 21-22 when it talks about the uh, city of God and that sort of thing. That comes a lot from Ezekiel itself. So the measuring out of the city that you see in Revelation, that comes from Ezekiel. You'll see a number of these things. And to when you see what the prophet Ezekiel was speaking to about the heart condition of the people and what was happening with the heart condition of the people at the particular time period, you will then see a lot of what was underlying the situations that come with the day of the Lord and what the prophet uh, Yohanan is talking about there in the book of Revelation. Yes, uh, Ben and I. I'm going to do my best to try to just um, make it make sense is that uh, um, Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, he's like a shadow of the Antichrist and how basically he went in and just slaughtered thousands and thousands of God's people. And, uh, they they wouldn't they wouldn't eat the pork you know he wanted to mix he wanted to mix their their society with their pagan beliefs with their idolatrous beliefs you know he wanted to subvert the word of god and so he wanted them to bend the knee by you know eating the pork you know and so you know there was thousands i think around 60,000 of god's people that were slaughtered because they wouldn't do that and then he did flatter um, some of the priests, you know, in Judea, and some of them did bend the knee, but then he took some of his army not too far away to try to get, I think it's uh, Menanias, I think, and his five sons. You know, I just, it's, 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 history's important because, you know, even right now in this time that we're living is that they're, you know, they're trying to mix. You know, they're trying to, you know, like during the whole COVID thing, you know, there was uh, government handouts going out to churches to close. I don't know if you guys know about that, yes. but, you know, basically it's like they're trying to say, you know, bend the knee, you know, basically compromise a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, you know, basically, you know, and in those who basically, you know, will not conform to the world, it's like, you know, those are the ones that, you know, the persecution is, it's already started, you know, I mean, in this hour that we're living, you know, those that, you know, won't follow through on, you know, their days. And I also want to bring this point up too. You know, the ministration of life and the ministration of death. Meaning, I can follow the letter of the law, but if I don't have the love of Christ in my life, then you know what? It's death. You know what? If I'm not spiritually reborn in a new creation in Christ, then it's death. You know, I just want to make that point because I see a lot of people on both sides of the fence. You know, and there's a lot of people that are just the letter, the letter, the letter, and they're just bashing people. You know, and then basically, I see a lot of these other people and they don't have you know, the instruction, but they, they have the love of God. And it's like, you know, there has to be that marriage where it's written on your heart and you're doing it because you love him and you're holding to his word because it's the instruction of life and you want to honor him and you want to love him. And it's in his word to do those things. He said, if you love me, you obey my commands, you know? And so that I just want to make that point just, you know, because right now there's a lot of, I've, I've been experiencing a lot of, uh, you know, hardships on both sides of the ditches you know, where there's a lot of those that are basically just the letter, the letter, the letter, and, you know, and then they're just so hardcore, and there's no grace, and there's no mercy, and there's no spirit. And then the other side of the fence with all the people that are hoop hauling and spirit all, yeah, yeah, whatever, but they have you know, almost no word of the God. You know, they're just, you know, all over the place. You know, and I, I just, I would really like the marriage, meaning that where people would be sound, that they'd be walking in the narrow way. And I think that God is calling his, peculiar people to exemplify that in this hour, you know, to really basically walk that narrow path and just say, you know, I'm not going to bend the knee. I'm not going to take the handouts. You know, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to take a little bit of leaven and just to hold true. And, and, and I think God is a rewarder of those who seek him diligently and obey him. I just, I, I wanted to say that.
Yep, that's one of the things we've been getting at here recently about the thing that there is something greater than death. And, you know, it's where Yeshua says that, you know, fear him who can destroy body and soul in Gehenna, not just one who can kill the body. Yes, uh, Tammy. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of wrap up maybe a couple of things that people were saying. One thing that maybe one string that maybe Lorilla and Ben and I are both grasping at is in the Messianic movement, unfortunately, there are examples of cult-like behavior, right? Um, cult-like behavior. Um, the extreme legalism that Ben and I is talking about. Or, um, you know, they take things from the Old Testament and they try to, quote, recreate the Old Testament to the point where they're... Um, they're very archaic, anachronistic almost, right? Um, but um, so you do, so there are people like that. You have to be on warning. Just because people use the name Yeshua and they talk about mitzvot and this kind of thing doesn't mean there couldn't be a problem there, right? But the most interesting thing was what Deborah was saying when she was reading Revelation 11. And so I pulled up my Orthodox study, Orthodox Bible study companion this eastern orthodox commentary on revelation and in that verse in 11 where it talks about those who dwell on the earth will rejoice and celebrate they'll send gifts to one another because the prophets that had tormented them you know um because the prophets had tormented them right so they actually draw a parallel not to christmas with the gift giving but purim because it says here, when the Jews triumphed over their pagan foes and averted national annihilation, they celebrated their triumph by saving, sending gifts to one another. So in a horrible parody of this, the enemies of God do the same. So, um, it, so the world takes the things of God and twists them, and then will do them. Because atheists celebrate Christmas. And they celebrate it in a lot of the same ways that people in the church celebrate it. And you hardly can tell the difference. Right? So, the things of God can always be twisted by the world. And they do. Because they don't have anything original. Right? <laughs> so, we can't be surprised when we see that pattern. Whether it's... Um, when we see that pattern in the world. We can't be surprised by that. But we have to know what the original is. I'm pointing at my computer because I have my Bible here, right? But... We have to know what the original is. Uh, yes, go ahead, Estelle. Just really quick, adding on to that particular passage, what a lot of people don't know is that the word Christmas actually holds the meaning death of Christ, death mass. A lot of people don't, don't know that that's really the root of of the word and so i thought it was interesting that you brought up that passage and drew that parallel because if you think about the world and how they celebrate christmas all of the pagans celebrated as well and i was i was having a conversation with the precious sister about the christmas tree <laughs> because i was conflicted about it i have I have family members who still celebrate Christmas, and so there's still a lot of the pool there and the, the back and forth. But um, what we essentially distilled it down to was having a decoration in your house really isn't the problem. It's when we turn that decoration into an altar. And, yeah, and... It really is all about the heart set, and, and we also decided and came to the conclusion that it's always all about the heart set. Do we have a heart to see people restored to the Father when we come to them in correction? Because if we don't, then we need, we need desperately to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, fix my heart, because... Okay. Great. Well, thank you for uh, all your comments on this. Uh, one of the the 
things to uh, wrap up here with is that uh, we're ta- talking about, uh, lastly, we had the, the passage from uh, Luke chapter 1, which uh, covers the, uh, it's called the Annunciation or the Announcement, basically is a, another way to say that, the Announcement of the Coming of the Anointed One uh, through Miriam. And that's then what follows, it's called historically the Magnificat, but as you look at it, it is basically, it's a prayer that Miriam is praying. And it's very much parallel to a similar one that uh, Hannah prayed when she was very thankful for and expressing the gratitude for her being able to have a child, and that child being Shemuel or Samuel, the prophet Samuel. So what you see, then the parallel between these women and their prayers is, number one, you notice that where, where, the, source of, where the source of these prayers is, the source of the prayers being the word of God. What are they drawing from? If you were to go through there, and it, I invite you to do so, in, you know, with the cross-references, and look at where they're quoting from. Miriam and Hannah are quoting from all kinds of scripture. You know, Hannah is you know, quoting from, at her time, it'd be the Torah, and Miriam is quoting from all over the place, throughout the Torah, the prophets, the writings, and what she's drawing from in there. But what they are both noting is that there is a great work that is being done through them. Not because of who and how great they are, but it is that the Lord is deeming them to be a blessed one, that they are blessed for carrying on this particular mission and this particular thing. So when we think about all of the various things that come in with the celebration of Hanukkah, one of those in particular is related to the great blessing that was given through this young woman. She was barely a woman, very, very young, that she would be the one that would be carrying in that the word would become flesh and that that was an incredible blessing that was being brought through for her, that this light of God would be coming in into the world. So one of the things that was noted when we say the, the history of Hanukkah goes back to the Maccabean era. Benanias uh, give us a, a good recap of this. But this is something that came like a century, more than a century and a half before the coming of the word becoming flesh and that this was happening within the heart of Israel. And Ben and I was talking about this turmoil happening within the people of God, where the priesthood, priesthood being ones that were twisted and corrupted. There is, in the historical records, that there was the priesthood, before this period, had actually... A reach out now, whether it's historical or not, a lot of people are debating about it. But historically, back to the time of Alexander, some sort of interaction with the priesthood of Israel, that there would be a reaching out and saying, "Hey, there is something that we've heard God's with you." Now, when Alexander died very early. His empire, it was a big fight that went between his generals. We have uh, the division of it came down to just a few of the generals, but there was a fight amongst a lot of them, it was up, up to roughly about a dozen of them that were fighting for control. And he ended up with just a few that ended up with control. So Seleucus, which was the one that had the area of uh, the Holy Land now in Mesopotamia 
area of modern day uh, Syria and Jordan and up into Lebanon and heading eastward under Seleucus came under that power. And then the descendants from Seleucus came down to one of those into Antiochus IV. And through various machinations, came to get a high view of himself into where he gets the nickname of <laughs> the crazy man, uh, Epiphanes, and uh, you could say he one who tries to be like God, but then also could be translated as crazy man. Then to think, I am God, and what I say goes to say, Hey, you folk over there in this little sliver of my empire, you're somehow thinking that your one God is different from me and you're going to go your own way. No, you're not going your own way anymore. I'm going to come in to your seat of power in your temple and I'm going to set myself up in it with all of what we do into it. And that then kicks off this one of the many abominations of desolation that has come to the temple that the prophet Daniel talks about. This is one of them, a big one of them that happens. And then when it gets to be rededicated, that is what the celebration of Hanukkah is. And paralleled after the Feast of Tabernacles, because they were not able to. And if you look at the time period related to the prophet Haggai, or Haggai, chapter 2, it was probably not because they weren't able to, is that it wasn't the right time for them to do so. That there would be this greater glory that would be coming on a particular time scale. And that particular time scale is the 25th day of the ninth month. So what they ended up doing is you have the eight days of what would be Sukkot, seven plus one. Because remember, every time we come through Sukkot, we've got that bonus day, Shemini Atzeret. We get the seven days of tabernacles, the one day of Shemini Atzeret. They couldn't celebrate that that year because the temple was not in action. It was desecrated. It was, had been dedicated to a pagan god. So two months later, they got it dedicated in. And so it is a parallel in there. So what do we celebrate? What is one of the great themes of Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles? Kingdom of God, where? With us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is one of the key themes, God with us. That's one of the key themes of that. So when you get to John chapter 10, with the celebration of Hanukkah, here you have, what does Yeshua say? In the temple on Hanukkah. I and the Father are one. Yes, so thus, the dwelling of God is with mankind. The Word becoming flesh, as John chapter 1 talks about, the Word became flesh and skinued with us, tabernacled with us. Yes. Okay, so um, I have a friend who's a feast keeper, but when I mentioned Hanukkah, she said that Hanukkah is just um, the world's, it's, it's a tradition, it's not... It's not relevant for keeping. So how would you answer somebody in that sense that keeps the feast, but yet still has a service that's sort of like um, church-like? It's not you know, any kind of teaching. It's still random picking except for celebration of the feast. I didn't know how to answer that, so I didn't say anything. Well, one of the So, the, I mean, the, how the would I uh, show is, her the scriptures? Yeah. Rose found John 11. Yeah, John. John, okay, John, John said, chapter ten. We saw John uh, eleven twenty. Deborah, there's some flyers over there that are in there that have there and that talk about John chapter ten, and that is a particular reason because it is a very important thing as to why Yeshua was in the temple during Hanukkah 
and what he said when he was there. And especially for people who knew the history of it. Because the history of it is all about what? We just were talking about it here. Somebody coming in to God's house and setting themselves up saying, hey, I am God, you follow a different God. Yeshua showing up in the temple says, I and the Father are one. That's now, that's like if you're playing poker or something, this is a call. This is, this is a call here. It's like, okay, what do you got? Do you, what, what, do, what do you have? Are you actually seeing what's, what's going on here? What are you actually holding to? Do you, do you notice the signs that are actually showing up? Uh, yes, Ben and I. Uh, the Maccabees, there's a lot of other books that don't line up with the Word of God, but the Maccabees doesn't contradict the scriptures. Yeah, especially I mean, the first two books. <laughs> it talks about like, well, it just talks about like, you know, resurrection. There's a resurrection. I mean, those that, you know, are going to be persecuted, talks about persecution. And, you know, I had the conversation with just my mom who celebrates Christmas still. And I just, I, I let her, I was like, mom, I was like, you know, so many, I said, believers, you know, that love God. I said, they, thousands of them laid down their lives to preserve the word of God. I said for future generations, and I said they, they laid down their lives for you and me. And I said, so basically, like when we celebrate Christmas, like when we used to, we just spit in their face. Like it's like, it's like you know, like it's dishonoring those who love God and dishonoring God. And I, 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 I said, well, you know, why, why would you want to hold to a tradition of people who instituted it that hate God? You know, and, and for what Deborah was saying about people where it's not there, but it is there because when Christ went into the temple and you know, I, am the, I am the light, and, you know, I and the Father are one, is that, that was on the Feast of Dedication. Well, the Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. Yes. If, Christ didn't, if Christ hadn't have done that, I would say there'd be a little bit more of a stronger argument. But nonetheless, people laid down their lives to die for, you know, basically not compromising the word. And I think that, that we should honor, I mean, do we not honor like uh, what Moses did? I mean, do we not honor Daniel? I mean, do we not honor, you know, all those that laid down their lives in times past? Are they not our brothers too? You know, so it's like, you know, just because people say, oh, you know, the sometime old covenant, you know, or whatever is the thing is, is that they're still our brothers and our sisters. I mean, just because it was an old covenant and what they did, I mean, we shouldn't discard any, any of that, you know? And so I just say to people that are following the, fe the feast, like she would say that, you know, do not celebrate it because it's not a prescribed. I mean, I think that we can still honor the martyrs. We can still honor those that laid down their life for the word of God. And even like, what you, but even Yeshua, even he was in, in the temple on the Feast of Dedication, you know, stating that I and the Father are one, but he is the light of the world. Meaning that, you know, they had the shadow beforehand, but he is the fulfillment of those shadows and pictures and, and those things. So I just want people to know that, you know, like, you know, the light, they have the light. It says you don't get the light and put it underneath, but you put it up high. And Christ was in, like, he was showing that he is the light. Like, all those things about the sacrificing of the lamb in times past, you know, all that, well, he is the fulfillment. He is the lamb of God, the once and for all, the atoning, you know, the blood, you know, for us to, to reconcile us to God the Father. It's just, so I, those are some of the things that I share with people, you know, that I know. You know, when they are having an issue about, oh, is it prescribed? And then also for those who are still celebrating Christmas. You know? Yeah. Well, the one thing I just want to, uh, it's always a caution. Yet, um, this is something that you, you approach extremely delicately. Because basically, this topic, you were, have a high likelihood of kicking, kicking out the chair underneath someone's faith. So tread extremely carefully. I, if I can warn you any more strongly, is to be extremely careful at this. You know, because people hinge a whole lot upon this. And uh, so tread extremely carefully. If yeah, I would say that. Say, say very, very little on it. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. 
That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel dot info. Hallel.info.